0: This episode of the Big Head Chats podcast on the On The Pine Sports Network is brought to you by Mulke & Co. Marketing. For all your marketing needs, Gav and the team have you covered. They do it all, including making our website. Check it out at www.onthepinesports.com.au. They also build online stores using Shopify. Throughout COVID, more and more businesses need to go online and Gav can help you do that. Check out their latest store at www.wardrobedbythesea.com.au. If you need some help with your online presence, then get into contact with the team at www.mulka.com.au slash marketing. Now I can actually provide a service for you through the podcast. So mention Big Head Chats while you're there and the guys will give you a free website report on your current website which gives you an idea of how it is performing with SEO, page load and many other aspects. It also gives you recommendations for changes that can be made. So uh, yeah, jump on it quick because I can finally give you something, listeners. But for now, let's jump into this week's episode. Let's go... What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Big Head Chats podcast. Maddie Nevitt is back in to talk all things preliminary finals and a big grand final coming up this weekend. Maddie, welcome back, mate. Good to have you.
1: Oh, nice, man. Good to be here.
0: Yeah, we're on the Zoom today, mate. We've, uh, we've kept you at home. We said, don't get in the car. We said, just let it stay yeah, there in the bedroom and get on the Zoom call. So, uh, um, and you said to me, oh, I, I, bet, I, bet it, I, bet I better look pretty, I better make myself a bit more presentable. I said, mate, COVID, don't need to look pretty. I'm in a beanie the old Nike sweater. That's what, we're, that's what we're rolling with.
1: Yeah, well, I haven't done a very good job, have I? I haven't <laughs> had a and I've got, got the New York hat on. <laughs> I'm hardly dressed up, nationally, but at least we're 1.5 metres away, so...
0: No, that's uh, it, mate. It's a perfect stage this it. week. <laughs> <laughs> now, Matty, um, coming off a big night last night, the Brandland Medal, obviously, biggest night, uh, individual accolade in footy. Um, and Lockie Neal, as we expected, runaway winner. Um, what would you back at the count? Because it was one of those counts where everything you sort of thought was going to happen in terms of top five and winner seemed to happen, which is unusual.
1: Yeah, it was funny, wasn't it? I mean, the top four players in the market leading in, in terms of favouritism, were the, were the top four that in the way that finished. Neil was a runaway winner. And then Jack Steele, Travis Boak and Petrarca all finished basically on the same, same amount of votes, which is what they were placed in the market. So everything went to script in that sense. But the count itself was... I actually thought Channel 7 did a really good job of it, to be honest. I thought um, even though it wasn't normal, it didn't feel normal, um, by halfway through the count you sort of forgot about it. And, and it actually be, probably for the first time in a long time wasn't as dragged out as a TV event as what it normally is. It was all done and dusted by 9.30, which makes it a, an easy watch. Um, I thought the interviews done throughout the night were pretty good um, and, and obviously a really deserving winner as well in Lockheed Neal, who... Pulled out of his skin, really, didn't he? It was the highest average vote per round score that's that's ever happened in a count. If if it was actually extrapolated across the whole season, he would have pulled more votes than anyone in the history of the game. So, yeah, an extraordinary season, and, and he's a well-deserving winner.
0: Yeah, it was it was a crazy count for for him personally. I mean, thirty-one votes um, from seventeen games, and yeah, that that's almost a winning score in a normal season. Just about. Um, yeah. So yeah, impressive, one, Neil. and I. I agree with the coverage was really enjoyable. I thought, um, thought Haim and uh, and Jackie did a really good job. Um, interviews were good, and you know the front bar coming in for a few little snippets here and there. They were always funny. Um, yeah. and uh, and over by nine thirty, so, um, all packed up in bed, um, ready for Monday morning. So I really like that, and hopefully, it's hard when you when you do it in a big setting like they usually do to to get it all done that quick. But you know, if we can sort of get it done by about 10 o'clock, I think that's usually not too bad and people would be happy. Yeah.
1: Especially on a Sunday night. I mean, it's usually on a Monday, so it's the same sort of thing. If they only made, if they made one mistake throughout the night, I think looking back in hindsight, it was the fact that Lockie Neal had to present the medal to himself. I think yeah. the only flaw really in the night, it just didn't make sense that you had Chris Fagan sitting behind him. I'm sure Simon Black was nearby. Um, you know, they could have just done that a little bit better. Um, even just getting some, one of his teammates to hang around. his are yeah, give right. to,
0: to give yeah. him the or something like that. Yeah, there's plenty seems of... A bit silly,
1: and they, look, they fought through a lot of things really well, Channel 7 and the AFL. But probably just that one just skipped over them a touch. Um, and if they had their time again, they would they would change that. But all in all, it was a, it was a really good night. Yeah, the only other funny thing was I, I did feel sorry for the, the players in Melbourne who were sitting there um, with their masks on and <laughs> unable to obviously drink as well. So that couldn't have been overly enjoyable for the likes of um, Max Gordon and others that were in Melbourne. I wouldn't have thought.
0: My my favorite part of, of the coverage was watching Jack McRae and Josh Dacos sit next to each other and seemingly not say a word to one another. And <laughs> they looked very, very awkward. They looked like uh, the two boyfriends that are there while their girlfriends are... Yeah,
1: yeah. There's a few of those tables outside, around.
0: Outside. A little bit of that. Um yeah. But then, you know, the cam- when they had the big gallery view of all the different places they were at, um, they kept having the camera on Dacos and McRae. And was, first of all, why are they sitting together? Why are they forced to sit next to each other? And secondly, why do we keep showing them? Because they're the most awkward twosome you've seen all night.
1: Well, they probably, I mean, they're a bit limited with the shots that they had, didn't they? They probably had a camera in each room and that was it. Yeah. So um, the TV producers as such probably didn't have as many shots to pan between as they normally would. So some yeah, players were yeah. getting more airtime than they normally would as well, even when they weren't polling votes.
0: It was uh, it was 2020 in a nutshell, I thought. Now, mm-hmm. <laughs> one other thing. we uh, My favourite part of the brand, though, is to watch which table uh, and which team is getting on the, the cordials the hardest. And yeah. the Brisbane boys were having a fair dip at it and <laughs> they made it I'm well definitely. known in the background yeah. while Lockheed was getting presented. Uh, Hughie McCluggage, who's a naturally... Shy person. Um, the boy seemed to be attacking his suit, and, and Dane Zorko was very enjoying himself a lot during the night. Did you yeah, notice I'd
1: that? I'd be surprised if they had a quiet 24 hours beforehand <laughs> uh, after being knocked out of the finals. Um, so understandably enjoying themselves on Brownlow night, probably more so than most other people that were involved on the uh, on the evening. But you know, I actually do have one other point, and I don't want to be too critical here because. Um, It's it's probably the wrong thing to pick out, but what are your thoughts on the mark and the goal of the year awards that were handed out?
0: Yeah, so I liked both fine, both fine, but Jack Nunes' goal was the one for me that I thought should have won. Um, If you're thinking of toughness of the shot from 45 to 50 out on the wrong side for a right footer, to win the game as well, that has to come into it. So I thought, I thought Jack Nunes for the goal. Um, And I can understand the Sam Walsh mark, but, you know, I think everyone was pretty um, clear that there was better, but I wasn't so much um, confused by the mark of the year, but the goal of the year was one that I thought. What do you think?
1: Well, I I probably agree with you that Nunes, in my opinion, was the goal of the year just because of the, you know, what came with it and um, not just the kick itself. There was, There's was so much more to it than that. Um, and I think that needs to be taken into account. I'm not actually being critical of the decision to award Sam Walsh mark of the year. I'm, I'm probably more just curious as to know, I don't think there's ever, you know, been less speckies in the game than what there has been over the past year or two. And that probably was shown last night that they had to award Walsh with that mark. And it was a terrific mark, don't get me wrong, it was full of courage um, and and well-deserving, you know, up against the other marks that he was up against. But I just wonder whether or not the game has lost that element of it. And, you know, it's something that has been built into the game over a long period of time as part of the fabric of the game, Um, the specie, but the way that it's played now, you just don't see it as often and you don't see them as spectacular as well when they're taken. And, And I think that was evident in the fact that it wasn't a Specky given as Mark of the Year last night, which, you know, is usually a formality. Um, I think over, it really, from memory, only the only one previously that I can remember that wasn't a Specky was Nick Revolts, Mark. Um, mm. you know, probably 15 years ago now. Yeah, yep. Um,
0: yep. I think, it's probably uh, more in
1: the state of the game, isn't it? I don't know. Yeah,
0: yeah, and it doesn't help that Jeremy Howe missed the whole year, and he's usually given us sort of yeah. uh, two a week, um, at, at least one a week. Um, but yeah, I, you'd almost think, wouldn't you, that it would happen more because because of the congestion, especially up forward with the amount of numbers that are in the forward line. I'd almost expect that given some of the athleticism in the game, that it would lead to more players just giving themselves an extra five, 10 metres and then trying to launch into the pack and take that specky more yeah. so than when, you know, the game was more one-on-one, but you would see more speckies then. So it's a weird dynamic where you would think that it would happen more now, but it's seemingly not doing so.
1: Yeah, I agree with that, with the athleticism of the game being at an all-time high. But it's probably, you know, a set, the flair in a lot of things have been, has been coached out of players because the consequences of giving away a push in the back free kick um, in a dangerous position on the ground you know, outweigh the advantages of, of taking a high-flying mark. So um, I don't know if there's a way that the AFL can sort of manoeuvre rules to, to incorporate more spectres into the game or it's just something that we're going to be seeing less and less of for years to come.
0: Well, it doesn't help when guys like Isaac Rankin come in and it's exciting for the first two or three weeks and then by sort of fifth, sixth game, uh, the commentators are saying he needs to stop with the flare because it doesn't work yeah. once or twice. So I was – that was – because that's where the games get into where it's exciting for Rankin or guys like Rankin to, you know, come in and, and do their flashy things to start with because, it you know, say it works for the first three or four times. But then yeah. – then all of a sudden it doesn't work once or twice, and people start saying, "Now I need to do the team thing. Needs to play the percentages." And I'd, he's drafted for a reason because he can do these sorts of things. And so, if it comes off six times out of ten, I'm taking those six over the four that he's going to miss. You know, what I mean? I'm taking mm-hmm. I'm taking his six flashy things over someone else's nine, you know, semi-good things that are always going to work. So there's definitely that perception coming in to play the percentages and don't do the flashy things on the off chance it doesn't work, which I just don't think should happen.
1: Yeah. No, I agree. It's, uh, it was just something that I, I found a little bit fascinating out of the night.
0: Yeah. Now, uh, Maddie, we'll start off with Friday night. So, Richmond for Adelaide, the the, the pick of the prelims. Um, the most – one of the more defensive oh, prelims. Man, Matthew, you would have been relieved, man. I lost, I've lost years of my life watching the game, but very very happy yeah. to, to get the result as a Richmond fan, but could have gone either way. Super defensive game. Both teams had um, so many opportunities. Port definitely had opportunities to to get the win. Um, what would you make of it uh, in short?
1: I thought despite the fact there was a, a low-scoring final, low-scoring game of football, I found it enthralling. Uh, and it's, good, it's really as good a final as I've probably seen for a while in terms of just the fact that the crowd was so involved and um, it was just two really good sides going at it. And, and Port Adelaide, to their credit, they kept going all night long. They kept throwing everything at Richmond. Um, and in the end, the more experienced side uh, in finals footy prevailed. And I think that was telling. I mean, when Charlie Dixon kicked that goal in the fourth quarter, yeah, that you had every reason to believe that Port Adelaide were probably going to go away with, with the game and win it. But I think that showed enormous... Um, maturity, you know, level of experience from Richmond, and um, yeah, it was just it was it was almost like the champion side rose to the occasion in that situation to be able to bounce back from that and find a way to win. So you know, a cracking game of footy. The best team did win, but gee, you've got, you've got to give got to give a lot of credit to Port Adelaide because they they took it right up to the Tigers.
0: And I think for, in Richmond's case, they'll take a lot of confidence out of it because in their three. This is now so. This is their fourth, but in their third, in their three grand final runs, for the most part, they've had pretty comfortable finals wins. So, 2017 qualifying and prelim were were both pretty comfortable in the end, and grand final obviously smashed Adelaide. In 2019, the the qualifying was an easy one. We're losing to Geelong, but at halftime in the prelim, but by the end of the game, you know they were overrunning them easily in the end. Um. despite how close the, the, the score was. And then this year, um, despite losing the qualifying, I mean, had it made, made easy work of the Saints. And then this was the game where, you know, this was as close as they got it, apart from 2018 when they lost to Collingwood, where you thought this could be it sort of thing. So I think you take a lot of confidence if you're Richmond knowing that that was probably the most intense threat you had in terms of playing over there, the crowd... Um, you know, really backs against the wall type of stuff and you've come out of it with a win and now you get to go home to, to the Gabba where you usually play good footy.
1: Yeah. How do you think Richmond's going compared to previous years where they've gone into a grand final? Are they, are they humming along as beautifully as what they have been? I, I personally think that they're still they're playing the best footy they have all season at the right time. Um, I'm, I'm not certain that it's as high level as what it has been when they've won the premiership previously. Um, but I do think that they're playing their best footy this year right now.
0: I would, yeah, I would agree. It, it definitely doesn't seem, you know, when it gets to sort of the offensive transition, it doesn't seem as seamless as other years. You know, some of those years, and even when it was just those hack forward punches or handballs or kicks, you still thought Richmond are going to get one here. It doesn't seem as easy as that at the moment. Um, yeah. But I guess that's where you would have some confidence. Again, knowing... All the all parts of our game are humming at the moment, well enough that we're into a grand final. Um, so that other stuff's going to come eventually, and they yeah. you know, they're comfortable at the Gabba. So um, I think there's Richmond to be as confident as they have been in any of the three years. Um, particularly knowing as well that they have a, a good record against Geelong um, yeah. in their last few outings as well. So that's definitely a, a positive for them. Um, so, here's a few stats for you, Maddie. So, Port Adelaide had 15 more inside 50s, but only had 12 shots from their 59 compared to Richmond's uh, 19, inside fi- uh, 19 shots on goal from 44 inside 50. So, Port, you know, had their chances. It was, it was, they had every every right to win this game.
1: Yep. No, and they did. They had their opportunities, no doubt about that. Um, there was periods throughout the game and the, As every good final does, where ebbs and flows in momentum, there was periods where Port Adelaide were right on top and it was Richmond really happening to dig deep and defend as much as they possibly could on repeat uh, repeat entries inside 50, and they did that so well. And it's what they've done well for a long period of time now, is just hang in there, grind, grind away, and then find a way to score at the other end. So, um, it was a typical Richmond performance in a lot of ways. I know they're struggling to hit the scoreboard um, in that sense, but the defensive efforts are as good as any and they make it so difficult to score. And that's kind of what it, they do. So when the opposition side's on top, when Port Adelaide's got all that momentum, by defending so vigorously and, and so ruthlessly, they actually suck the life out of their opposition and deflate them as a result. Because there's only so many times you can pump the footy inside 50 um, and not get rewarded for it before you start to drop your head. Um, and that's what Richmond were able to do. They just they man the fort better than any other side.
0: It's like, it's like a heavyweight title fight, isn't it? So it's how many times can you get hit and wear it? Yeah. And then once, you know, you tire out the opposition, can you then throw that counter punch? And I yeah. think that was what this game was. It was each team sort of given a few here and there, couldn't sort of land that final blow. And then Port had all the run in that last quarter to really take it. And Richmond wore everything and then was able just to give that last little counter punch. And and that was enough. Um, now for Port Adelaide, there's, there's so many positives in the loss, which is hard to accept in a prelim loss, I know. But the fact that they were smashed so much in the last quarter, particularly in every aspect of the game that they do well, usually, which is clearances and, and contested footy, getting the ball forward and then pressing up and, <coughs> excuse me, and, uh, and holding the footy in. Yeah. They didn't do that well in the last quarter, particularly. And they still had every chance to win the game. So do you, how, how many positives do you take out of this as a poor Adelaide player or fan?
1: Uh, well, you take a lot of positives out of the fact that they've had a successful season. Um, I don't think you take too many positives out of the fact that you missed out on an opportunity to win a premiership because it, it, it's easy to sit here and say after a match that um, they're well-placed to do it again next season and go a long way and you know, over the next five years, they're, you know, they're going to be a threat. I mean, it's, it's so easy to say that. And we say that about the losing preliminary finals really every season. You know, we've said it about the Giants on a number of occasions. Everyone probably thought they were going to win the Premiership this year after making the grand final last year. But it's so hard to climb the mountain again. Melbourne found out that in 2018. Port Adelaide found that out in 2014 when they made the preliminary final and everyone thought they were the next big thing. And that it never quite happened for them over the next couple of years. So climbing the mountain, it, it can be difficult or it can be very difficult and it can take its toll as well. Um, so it'll be fascinating to see how they go about their off-season. Um, and, and attack next year. I mean, if you're asking me about the positives, though, clearly they've got a really good young list, and they're, they're going to get better. You would assume, um, you know, they, they'll lose Ebert, but that really, there's not many other players that they're going to lose that are in their best 22, um, and their young young brigade are only going to get better. I thought Rosie and Dersma were exceptional. Um, I thought it was, you know, as good a game as Dersma's nearly played. He, he was he, he played like a, a genuine A-grade. I thought um, on Friday night, and he was able to match it with some of the best players in the competition. Um, Butters was was quiet, but he'll he'll learn from that. Um, he'll get better. Um, they're, they're well placed. There's no doubt about that, and there's a lot to take out of the season. But it gives you no guarantees uh, going into a new season.
0: Has that just brought up some PTSD for you as a Melbourne supporter? <laughs> you thought you, you thought you were there, but then it hasn't quite come back the last two years.
1: Yeah, I guess you, well, it's a great it's a great example, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, two years ago, everyone thought Melbourne were the next big things, and in the off season, they were. You know, everyone was tipping them to win the premiership and it it, it unraveled. And, and I'm not saying that will happen from Port Adelaide because I think their, um, their culture is really strong and they've got um, a really good list. That they get the home ground advantage of, of playing at Adelaide Oval every second week. Um, but yeah, the, the missed opportunity of making a grand final and winning a premiership outweighs probably any positive that you can throw up.
0: Yeah. And and I was speaking from personal experience here. It, yeah. There is nothing like the rude opportunity and then, you know, then you don't get that opportunity the next year. Like there's, there's nothing worse because you know you that you were so close and you should have taken it, and then yeah. to have it taken away from you, and then the next year not be able to back it up again. The mind can only think about what could have been. So the the one thing for Port though, and that so they've sort of taken the apart from the clearance game, they've taken the Richmond mould where it's pressure, get the ball forward, lock it in, and just repeat entries and, and break teams. So that's a it's a style of play that. Um, is easier to replicate I feel than other game styles so it's yeah. all an effort so as long as, so Ken's got as uh, Gary Lyons spoke about a few weeks ago, Ken has the poor Adelaide players hearts and, and you know the connections there so they're willing to run through a brick wall for him so you can only assume that the the energy and the effort that is required to take this game, to play this game style is going to come back again which should hold them in good stead with the Age of their list and and the good balance they got it either end and in the middle that they should be at least in the eight again next year Um, but the eight's gonna be so tight next year. There's so many teams that I feel can make the eight next year. Do you you see that as well?
1: Oh, absolutely. This year of 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 league football with the salary cap um, putting so much pressure on sides and it's even even as as it's ever been. Um, And if you look at Port Adelaide, I mean, the thing they got going for them is that they don't really have any holes. So they don't have much filling to do in the offseason. They've got a really well-balanced list. Um, and and I, I can't see too many gaping holes across their side. I mean, one thing maybe they could add, because they're so good inside and they're so good at contested footy, is maybe adding a, a, an outside midfielder and some polish there. Um, you know, a guy like Motlop sort of at the end of his career and on the fringe of the side now. And um, someone to sort of replace that, that player who can sort of play half-forward, half-back, wing, um, and, and just add and complement their, their, you know, their aggression inside. That's probably really the only, the only thing that they could, I reckon, that they need as such. You know, they're, they're a very well-built list at the moment. So I guess their game holds them in really good stead.
0: If, if you compare it to a Richmond, they need a, a Shane Edwards or a Kane Lambert type, that sort of that player that can, you can almost plug them anywhere. If you need to, you can put them at a half-back. Um, they can play inside if need be, but then, you know, you know that once you get on the outside, they're going to be able to deliver the footy really well and provide some speed. So I would agree with that because looking at photos of Travis Boak and Ollie Wines at the Browning last night, Ollie Wines is a huge man. They've got some big bodies in there. Um, So they don't need any top ups there, but that outside run is one that they do need. Um, I want to talk to you about the the Richmond or the battle of the, the fringe players or the role players. So, my belief is that the, the bottom six players are always the guys that win your game of footy and, and win your premierships because the stars for the most part and in majority of occasions will will do their thing and play their part and do what they're supposed to do. But if your bottom six players aren't playing well, it just leaves so much more um, responsibility on the stars. I think Richmond's yeah, bottom six were really good on um, Friday night. So, you know, Nathan Broad, Nankervis. Liam Baker, to McIntosh, these guys um, were really effective and really impactful when they yeah, went near yeah. the footy. Did you notice that as well?
1: Totally. I mean, it's probably a reflection of, of Damien Hardwick's ability to coach the side and the group and get them all playing on the one page. I thought Nat Kerbis was exceptional on Friday night. I thought he was outstanding um, right across the, the ground. And you know, um, they, they just they just play their role, Richmond. They, they, they sort of they have a lot of players that aren't flashy, but they give 100%. You know what you're going to get. Um, and they play as a team better than any, any other side in the competition. So um, you almost forget who their bottom six are because they almost have a bottom 10 or bottom 12 because they're so even. Um, and and when, you, when they lose a player, someone comes in and does plays the same role. Um, yeah, that, that's a real reflection on the club as a whole and the culture and, and their, their ability to coach. I, I think Damien Hardwick's ability to coach, you know, the whole group.
0: I think Nank had one of the best, quarters in a final I've just about nearly seen. It was yeah. unbelievable. Like, some, some of the... Fox Footy had the stats up. It was, you know, five disposals, 9 hitouts, five to advantage, um, three intercept marks, you know, four or five intercept possessions. He was absolutely...
1: Important player.
0: Yeah. And because mm-hmm. a lot of the doubt coming into... Once Soldo went down was, can Nank, you know, take the load by himself? And even going into the game it was all right. Do you bring Chole in to give Nank a bit of a chop out? Um, but he proved that he can he can take the load by himself, and you just need yeah. Dave Asprey to come in and and pinch it for a few minutes here and there. So Nank was um, Nank was really good and, and had a game just about in the last quarter by himself.
1: Yeah, so. absolutely. No, he was outstanding.
0: Now um, we'll move to Geelong and Brisbane. So um, by no means a bad a bad game. The the score line in the end. Um, probably reflected how well Geelong played all night. But Brisbane were thereabouts going into the last quarter. There was no doubt about that. Um, what did you make of the game?
1: Well, it was one-sided. It was it, from the very get-go, I thought Geelong were all over Brisbane. They kept them in the game, um, which made it you know, relatively entertaining to watch because it wasn't over as such until after three-quarter time. But they were the dominant side all night, Geelong they, they, they won the game exactly how they won the game against Collingwood last week by completely depriving um, Brisbane of the football. I was looking at the statistics. They, they won the, the, the disposal count by 65. They had 300 disposals to 235. They, they won the inside 50 count by 18 and they were 10% more efficient with the footy. So not only did they have the ball the entire night, they used it well as well. And that's exactly what they did against Collingwood. Um, and if you put these two games together, I think... What's Ge- what Geelong's done over the past two weeks is play as good a two weeks of football as any side has all season. And although you mentioned, and I'm sure we'll talk about the matchup with with Richmond shortly, that you mentioned that they've got a, you know, a poor record against the Tigers. They are playing as good a footy as they've probably played all year. And that, that, that will give them a chance next week, a really good chance because they're peaking right now. And um, the, the young Lions looked like, a they, they made Brisbane look like that Young side that they were two years ago on the up and um, you know not quite ready, if that makes sense. Which shouldn't have been the case because they were the home side of the preliminary final, but Geelong monstered them really. They completely monstered them. What did yeah, you make it, of it?
0: it? It was the it was the so we spoke last week about the the prelims going to provide you know two different sets of headlines. It was either going to be the the fairy tale up and coming teams you know breaking the experienced um, veterans, or it's going to be the the experienced sides um, being able to break the young brigade. And that's exactly what happened. So Geelong um, more so than what Richmond did to play. Like Geelong just proved how good they still are and the experience um, that they've got, because as you said, they made Brisbane look like the young team that they were two years ago on the up um, mm. when really they're not that anymore. And they, and with the home prelim final in front of their home fans, should have been a lot more dominant, I'm going to say. They should have been a lot more, a lot more dominant and really putting the pressure on Geelong because that's exactly what they did to Richmond in the qualifying final. They put the pressure back onto Richmond and played with that sort of chest puffed out and, and the experience um, that Geelong played with on Saturday night against them. So, um, yeah, you are right. And it, it, you look through all the stats and it was all the the Cats big name players that played well. So... Um, they had a really even spread, you know. Um, if you look at the top 10 disposal getters, seven of them were, were Geelong players. And it wasn't, wasn't you know, so-and-so 30, so-and-so 25. It was multiple guys getting 20, between 16 and 20 touches and being really effective as well.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, I think with in the case of what, with Brisbane, they've got Lockie Neal, who's an outstanding midfielder. He's, he's an A-plus grade midfielder, right? And they've got these other guys on their list that have... They've come on very quickly and they're still very young. But I think for them to win a game like that against Geelong, their young B, B graders, B plus graders need to find another level. So it's okay to come into the system and be a good player straight away. But then it's going from being a good player to being a star of the competition. And that's what the likes of Cam Rayner, Hugh McCluggage, um, you know, I'm looking through their list now, um, there's others that, that just have to find that next year um, for them to probably go to, to be a, a grand final side or a premiership-winning side. And they've, got, you know, they've certainly got the talent on their list to do it. But it, again, it's a bit like Port Adelaide. There's no guarantees with it as well. Um, and they came up against the side who had Selwood, Ablett, Dangerfield, Taylor, Hawkins. They'd all been there before. They knew what to do. They knew how to play at that level, how to handle the occasion. Um, and then they had a great complement of other players like Guthrie, Metagola, Stewart. Um, who have been exceptional all year as well. Um, so I, it was just—it was like the big boys in the schoolyard versus the little boys in the schoolyard, gar- school um, and the big boys just weren't phased.
0: And, and as you said, it so it's easy for us to say, "All right, Brisbane, will be back, we'll be back next year. They'll be, you know, they'll at least be in a prelim, so they'll put, they'll put themselves in the same in the same spot." But um, this is two years in a row of, of you know multiple finals. Um, it's, it's hard. It's going to be, you know, they've got to back up now with the preseason and then um, yeah. back up another year. Like it is a, it's going to be a long year and it's going to be a long grind. And um, the years don't, although this year was shorter, but the years don't get any shorter. And, you know, the, the taxing, um, the, you know, the, the effect on your body and, and, and your mental state as well is really hard, especially when you're young like these guys who are probably thinking, yeah. you know, can we be fucked going all the way? you know, going that deep again and, you know, when things get tough, do they sort of revert to, you know, oh, we've been there two years in a row now sort of thing. You know, that's, a, that's the mentality that they can come into to a yeah. young team, um, which obviously Geelong don't have because of that experience and being there, done that as well. Um, uh, yeah, I, we I think, just, uh, there you go. I
1: was just going, I was just going to say, so I was sort of comparing, so Hugh McClellan's last year in the final series was really disappointing and he bounced back and he was a bit stronger this year and I think the challenge is going to be for a guy like Jared Berry, who was the other player that I was thinking of. He was really disappointing on Saturday night. Um, I think he'll he look back and you know, be really down on himself for the fact that he, he just wasn't clean with the footy. He wasn't composed and he looked a bit slow. Um, he's the guy that, who, who, although has had a really good season um, and has a lot of upside, is going to need to learn to perform in those big games. And that's what I was alluding to before. is That's how Brisbane get from being that really good side to being one of the best sides or the best side in the competition, that's how they got They got to learn from that, and they got to get better.
0: And they're and they're lucky that the all their, for, you know, their young core are entering that age bracket where traditionally you start to enter that sort of prime where you play really good, consistent footy, and then as you say, finals time you can take go to that next level and and take that sort of jump. But I'll I'll be keen to watch if they can, you know, mm. get the you know, intensity and the drive up again, because, you know, these long, there's long, um, campaigns do definitely take a toll, um, on your body and your mind. Um, so Geelong, we were discussing earlier about, is, are they, is their best that we've seen this year and we've seen in the last couple of weeks, is it the best out of them in Richmond?
1: Well, I think we'll find out in a week's time because I think they're going as well as they possibly can. They're absolutely humming along and, and Richmond are, probably going as well as they can go right now. So I think we will find out in, in about six days' time whether their best is good enough because it's exactly how they're tracking at the moment. Um, they, they've got the form on the board. They've got everything ticking along. Their, their stars are playing well. So I think if you're asking me whether or not they can win on, on, on Saturday night, then yes, they can win. They, they, they can win, even though they've got a poor record against Richmond. Um, there's no doubt about that. If, if either of these sides are off by one or 2%, the other side will win.
0: Yeah. And, you know, we spoke after their qualifying final loss to, to Port, we t- talked about their sort of their small forward brigade and how they need to fire to really have that forward line humming. And um, on the weekend, them and a few extra midfielders as well going forward were really effective. So, you know, Gary Rowan, 11 touches, three goals. Hawkins, 12 touches, two goals. Ablett fourteen and two, Myers fourteen and a goal, um, and then Parfit as well fourteen and a goal. So when your small forwards and your small brigade are doing stuff like that, yeah, it makes you really hard to beat.
1: No, totally. Yep, yeah. it's, it's a bit like Richmond, isn't it? All systems working, um, and it makes those bottom six players look good when your whole side's playing well because they can um, feed off the good players around them. So um, it, it, we we were talking a bit off air before about how we. Um, whether there'll be any changes to either of these sides and there probably won't be because they're playing so well. So I I don't. it's it's probably the first time in a long time that I can remember. There won't be much real talk about selection this week. I wouldn't have thought. Um, Yeah. So,
0: so we'll we'll go there because, um, because so rich, yeah, they're in interesting spots where they, they both probably have guys that you can easily bring in, but then it's always the question of who do you take out and does anyone really deserve to be, to be dropped when, the system for both teams is humming along so nicely. So I think Richmond, there's the the question of maybe a Josh Caddy in for, say, a Marlon Pickett. That's a, probably the only one I could really see as a possibility. Um, a yeah. bit of a like for a like in the fact that I know Marlon played last year's grand final, but Caddy probably has the runs on the board in terms of consistency over a long period of time. Um, yeah. That could be the only one. Do you, do you, would you do that if you were Hardwick? Do you do you take the pun on, on making a change?
1: Well, I think when, they, when there is changes made in grand final week, it's either because there's a player horribly out of form, um, and I'm thinking of maybe like a Leon Davis when he got dropped, or, or there's a star player waiting in the wings who's about to return. Sort of, there's not really anyone terribly out of form you know, that drastically needs to be dropped or a bad injury, and there's no superstars about to come into the side. So, I would have thought it's unlikely there'll be a change, but it would be quite the story if one year Marlon Pickett was included for his debut in a grand final and then the following year after playing most of the season. And although he's been probably, this might be a bit harsh, but I reckon he's been a touch underwhelming this season. No, he yeah, has been. Um, even though he's played, you know, he's only been dropped, I think, twice. He's played regularly throughout the year. It would still be a, it was an incredible story last year, Be. You know, add another layer to it if it was if it was to be dropped this year after playing most of the season sort of you feel sorry for him but at the same time he he, he, he got the golden ticket last year as well so maybe he if you know, you're a Richmond supporter you would know yourself you're watching them forensically every week he's probably the, the likely you know the only one who could possibly go out I think it's unlikely just because I don't think I don't think you want to go into a grand final tinkering with the side if you think things are going so well it's the old don't pick something if it's not broken sort of uh, method um, and he's, the other thing he's done Pickett, is he's proven that he can perform well in a grand final I think that does have some weight when you're making a decision at selection um, in the final week of the season you know he, he played so well last year under as much scrutiny as probably any players ever played under going into a grand final so I think that'll go in his favour and I think he will keep his spot but yeah it'd be quite some story if he got dropped
0: you, you could just see the, the documentary couldn't you about Marlon <laughs> if he did get dropped you can um, such a massive high last year, then it would be into such a big low, no doubt. But um, I, I agree, you know, Hardwick's a coach that backs in his guys. Yeah. Um, and really and backs the system. So I can't imagine um, he'll make a change. I think that would be the one, if I was to make one, if I was gunned to my head, forced to make a change, I'd probably make that one. Um, no doubt they'll be thinking about uh, Marvia troll as well because mm-hmm. – while Asprey has been good in the ruck uh, to pinch it and give Nank a bit of a rest, um, you know, do you want to do you want to be taking him out of the back line semi regularly um, to play in the ruck and leaving maybe some holes down back? Um, not really sure. And, and Chol has the ability to go forward and impact. Um, you know, when he's on, he's not always the most consistent player. But you know, do you back him in, in the grand final? That might be sort of the stage where he he comes up and uh, and does some crazy things. So. They're probably the two that Richmond have to think about. But in terms of Geelong, I can't see anyone yeah. going out. The, the one a couple of weeks ago, you thought maybe was Sam Simpson when he came in for Tom Atkins, but he's played as good a footy in the last two weeks as anyone. So I can't imagine Geelong are, are going to be rushing him out quickly.
1: No, I, I, I don't think so either. And he strikes me as the sort of guy who's pretty, pretty composed. And when he gets the football, he seems to make really good decisions with it as well. And that will hold him in good stead in the grand final as well when he's obviously like you know what we're saying just before he's playing under as much pressure as you can possibly be under so i think that'll certainly work in his favor and yeah i'd be surprised if you long made a, a change just off the back of the fact they've played two outstanding weeks of football
0: now how much uh, is damien hardwick thinking or the, the players at richmond are thinking about um chris scott's comments from uh before the season started do you, do you remember those
1: yeah, I don't need to be thinking at all about it though. <laughs> um, I look, at it, it's a great sub story to the week and it will certainly be you know, played on numerous shows throughout the week and, and be spoken and written about. But uh, I've got no doubt that these two coaches will be so focused on what the job is at hand this week and um, it bears no relevance to their performance on Saturday and they won't need any more motivation than what they've already got in front of them, you know, winning one of the most difficult premierships that there's ever been. Um, you know, what was once spoken about as possibly having an asterisk next to it, I think now it will go down as one of the great premierships, really, uh, because of what every team has had to endure throughout the season. Um, so, that, you know, motivation is at an all time high as it should be in the grand final. So, I don't think that there'll be much spoken about there.
0: And considering the fact that the two teams that have made the grand final are Victorian, have been in hubs for, you know, so long now, um, there could never be an asterisk, asterisk next to this flag because. These two teams in particular have been through the ringer in terms yeah. of what they've had to deal with and their families had to deal with this season. So, um, I mean, the interstate teams can throw away all their too much travel, um, complaining from now on because this is their year, and every team faltered except for the two travelling Victorian teams.
1: Yeah, you're right, Nashie. I mean, the, the interstate sides have long had that argument that. Um, They do it tougher than the Victorian sides. But the Victorian sides have had to go away this season, go into hubs and um, play all over the country, away from home without their supporter base. Um, And it's two Victorian sides in the grand final for the first time in a long time. So they've proven that point. um, For the players that are playing on on Saturday night, there's a touch, you know, an element of a disappointment, probably for the likes of Dangerfield and that, but have never played in the grand final and they don't get to do so in front of their own family and friends back home. But... um, you know, when we look back on this in 10 or 15 years' time, it, would hold, it will hold as, as much weight as any other premiership. Um, yeah. And there, there is some fantastic stories this weekend. Like Gary Ablett playing in his last game. You know, he's played 356 games. And to go out in a grand final would be you know, amazing if he was to win a third premiership. You know, Joel Salwood's led his side to finals, I think, 13 times. Um, and in 14 or 15 years of football. Richmond going for three flags in four years. Geelong going for four in 15 years. It, it's, it's an incredible match. It's set up to be a, one of the all-time great grand finals. And I hope it, it lives up to that.
0: It's a, it's, it's a weird one with, with, you know, it's basically 2020 in a nutshell is that um, the clubs have been told, you know, be there by the time the game starts. And that's really your only requirement. There's no parade. Um, no doubt the media requirements aren't quite as big as they usually are. And all you have got to focus on is being there by the time the game starts, which is weird considering it's, it's grand final week.
1: Yeah, and there's so much about this season that probably gets swept under the carpet by by a lot of the general public. The fact that the the teams haven't really been able to train properly at all throughout the season. Um, I don't know what the situation necessarily is right now, but for a lot of the season, it was a case of training in groups and only having a full training session once and they couldn't do contact at certain times. And then when you're not training, you can only go and be with a certain group of players. And you're living a lifestyle that is just, so far from normal and even even us living in the world right now like what the afl players and professional athletes are going through is completely even different to that because they're in a bubble um so oh, the challenges they've had to overcome you know it's i think there would be a great sense of fulfillment for the side that wins on saturday night uh, there's no doubt about that
0: now who do you think is going to win maddie who's your who's your tip because um It's it's so evenly poised and unlike last year where you you sort of knew Richmond had the edge over the Giants considering the Giants injury was this year you've got Geelong who are absolutely humming coming into the finals in terms of form and Richmond who have um, you know taken everyone in their path in the past few years so um, who do you take?
1: I'm really confident that I think it'll go down to the wire. I think I'm think i really confident that I think we'll get one of the, the, the better grand finals that we've had. Um, I think we're due for, for a cracker. I mean, we had a, there was a good one with Collingwood and West Coast a few years ago, but we have had some fizzes in the last five or ten years. Um, but I'm so confident it's going to be a, a cracker. Um, in terms of picking a winner, look, you're right. Geelong's record against Richmond hasn't been superb of recent times. And I was looking back to their, their game against them in, in round 17, where they lost by 26 points. Um, they didn't have Ablett. They didn't have Selwood that night. Um, and, and the game, it was, it was, there's a few other things that went in their favor. Um, Geelong had, it was a bit like Port Adelaide statistics against Richmond on Friday night. So Geelong had twice the amount of clearances Richmond did that night. Um, so they set up so well defensively. Um, I think Geelong's going so much better now than they were at that point of the season. Um, and it will be a different contest. There was also a metric on that night, which Richmond have a leaning to. They, they chose to play that game against St Kilda there because they enjoy playing in those conditions more than they do at the Gabba. So that, that again sort of goes back into Geelong's favour. So um, I think Richmond deserve to be that slight favourite, which they are in the market. But, I, but I, I'm, I'm going to tip Geelong because I, I think I have, to, I have to back what I'm seeing visually and what they've done the last two weeks um, is as good a football as I've seen all season, so you know I have to trust that you know if I'm making a judgment who wins on on Saturday night that they can bring that form to the game and 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 possibly beat Richmond. So I will I will tip in that way, but you know it's good luck. It's
0: it's, it's a coin toss, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and I, I know you're a Richmond man, so I, I'm assuming you've got a slight leaning towards the Tigers.
0: Yeah, I'll yeah. still be taking the taking the tiggies, but. Um, you know, in the back of your mind, you know that you're running into Geelong who are playing as good a footy as they have all year, you know, probably matching the form they had sort of midway through the year where they were the clear flag favorites and it was basically catch them if you can. Um, so they're in as good a form as I've seen. Um, I'm going to take Richmond. I'm going to take them by three goals in the end. Three goals. I'm going to go three goals. I can... These finals. Well, it could be so close, and then there's no sort of junk time goals that just happen in the last minute. Um, so that's usually what I think is going to happen in, the, in these big kind of finals. So I'm going Richmond three goals, um, and I want to say Dusty for his third Norman Smith, but I'm not quite sure. That's such a tough feat to be able to do it, you know, three times on the biggest stage. So I'm going to go Deion Prestia for the Norm Smith medal.
1: Well, if they win Richmond, I mean, there's every chance that he will win the Norman Smith medal. He's been their best player in their wins over the last month or so. He had what, 21 touches and two goals on Friday. Well, so and the other
0: thing you have to take in, into consideration is that Richmond have a, usually such an even spread of possession getters and guys that kick goals. So all Dusty has to do is have 20 touches and kick two goals. And he's probably one the Norman Smith there because... He
1: stands
0: out. He, he stands out with what he does and no one's going to have a, a crazy man of the footy usually yeah. if you go on off what Richmond usually do. So... He's every chance.
1: Yep, absolutely no doubt about that. Um, good luck picking a, a Norse medalist, or I mean, there's so many players that could put their hand up and win it because there's so many stars running out there on Saturday night. So,
0: Who, um, who's uh, who's your tip for the Norse and the for the Norse Smith and, and a margin?
1: Um, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say if if Geelong win, I'm gonna say Joel Selwood. Um, yep. I think he's just built for that sort of game and. Um, he'll put his head over the football all day long and and you know, look, could, it could be Dangerfield as well, it could be Hawkins could kick five um, Lynch could kick five you know, it's, I, I don't like it's interesting you say about junk time goals it's exactly why I never really invest in, in margin betting or um, mm-hmm. line betting in football because um, so often it can be an even contest for 95% of the match and then the last five minutes is junk time goals and it blows it out and you don't Correct. really get, the scoreline doesn't reflect how tight the contest was so um, I think in my opinion at three quarter time it will be game on that's you know that's that's one thing I think I can be certain of I think at three quarter time it will be it will be whoever can bring their very best football in the fourth quarter that will win the match
0: now Matty you're you are you are a betting man and I've, I've woken up this morning and I don't know how it's happened but I've got a $50 bonus bet in the account <laughs> right. now so how do I how, do? I break it up? Am I am I going with a multi? Am I, am I backing a North Smith winner? What what is? What's your advice? I need I need to make some money.
1: Well, you could have it on Tiger Moth in the Melbourne Cup, but <laughs> so if you want to bet on the football, uh, if you want to have a bet on the footy, well, have it, you thrown me under the bus here, and actually, I have a
0: little bit, I, yeah, but uh, I, haven't had a,
1: I haven't had a good look.
0: Um, <laughs> did, did, are you a, are you a multi man or are you more a sort of head to head? type better or you know do you like putting the goal scorers in
1: i'm a careful better with the football so i don't i don't just have sad game multis for the sake of it because i feel like that's a recipe for disaster yep. i do think there's money to be made in betting in the football if you've got the time to look through the markets and find something that's over the odds because if you if you're backing things that are over the odds more often than not that's your best chance of winning on the punt really so you know, there, there is always value in football markets if you look hard enough. So I will endeavour to do that for you, nash <laughs> And I will send you a message later in the week to find that out. Um, you know, if I'm giving advice, gen- generally speaking, you know, and I'm not I'm not a superstar on the pun or anything, but but fi- look at, say, who's performed well in grand finals before and how many disposals they've had, who's performed well when these two sides have matched up because, you know, if the game's going to be played similarly, Someone might find a lot more of the footy than they usually do. You know, you know, if we're thinking back to that round 17 match when the footy was spent a lot of the time in Richmond's half, uh, defensive half, even though they won the game, then then take a half back flanker or defender to, to get more, you know, 15 touches or something like that. That's that's how you can find value. Um, the, the the Norm Smith markets and the first goal markets because they're so heavily punted on on Grand Final day, the markets usually so diluted, so you're getting terrible odds. So yep. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be advising you to have hundred dollars. Or, you know, a large bet on, on on that market. Have something small if you want to have a bit of fun. Um, and then and then look at the disposal markets, you know. Or a goal-kicking market. It, you know, yep. If you think someone's going to spend some more time forward. Dangerfield, for example, might spend a lot more time. I don't think he will. I think Dangerfield will spend a lot more time. In midfield. It, yeah. yeah. Um, to be honest, on Saturday night, I don't think they'll take that risk. Um, but that's the sort of thing you need to be looking for.
0: I think as, as a Richmond nuffy at heart, I'm probably just going to go the old, all right, I'll back my team. Head to head and uh, make some money off money that I didn't even have to begin with, so the bonus bet's going to be good. Yeah, now you bring up a good point. You bring up a good point there with, with Dangerfield. So, quick little sort of, I don't know, maybe preview of some of some stuff for the game. So, what do you do with Dangerfield? Because do you do you go away from what's been working for you to this point in terms of playing, you know, a fair bit of time forward, or do you just say it's grand final day? We need Dangerfield in the middle, getting the footy for us.
1: I think you certainly, we start him in the midfield and I think you, you, you have it in your mind that you're going to play him in the middle for the majority of the match. You'd, I think you'd think about throwing him forward. Um, don't, there's no point throwing him forward if Richmond are on top and they're, you know, they're three or four goals in front as a last resort. That's, there's no point doing that because if the ball's down the other end, he's not going to be able to impact the contest to the level that you need. I'd be, I'd be going the other way and saying if Geelong are really on top and winning the clearances... Um, you know, the likes of Selwood and that are doing a lot of the work in that sense. Then, then there's an opportunity to send him forward um, and take advantage of Richmond in that way. But I think you're starting him in the middle of the ground and you're playing him there, um, you know, as your, as your first resort, your second resort and your third resort before you start thinking about moving him because that, you know, the game will be won and lost in the middle as it so often is.
0: I think you say that you, you take the dusty recipe because you see with dusty, especially in big games, always starts in the middle and you can, you can tell he's sort of got he's energetic and he's a bit more intense than say a regular season game. But then as soon as if they feel that Richmond starting to get on top a little bit, he's sneaking out the back of that stoppage. He's going forward straight away because that's when teams are most vulnerable and when yeah. he can really impact. So I think Geelong had to take that that approach and let Dangerfield do his thing in the middle, but then almost give him free reign and say when you feel we're on top, get forward and let's make the most of. Our run and our momentum, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, maybe it's a case of the last three or four minutes of the first, second, and third quarters that you, you use him in that in that space, and um, you know, instead of resting him on the bench, you just put him in the pocket and, and hope that he can clunk one or or, or or you know, kick one from fifty or something like that, and and create a bit of magic. But yeah, it'll be fascinating. Um, he's such an important player in their side, and you know, it'll be it, it might be you know we spoke about you know the bottom six players on on both of these sides, you know, getting them to this point, but. It's the kind of game where your superstars will win you the match, I think.
0: Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I and mean, I think uh, considering the calibre of players uh, in terms of stars on both sides, you, you feel if either of those side stars can, can fire, uh, they will hold them in good stead. And, and no doubt bring the role players along with them in such a big game because um, especially for Geelong, you know, there's some, some of those role players haven't haven't been there. So if if Danger and, and Selwood and these guys can bring them along, it'll hold them in good stead.
1: Yeah, totally agree.
0: Matty, it's been a pleasure as always, mate. We, uh, I look forward to hopefully t- chatting to you next week uh, with another flag as a fan. So uh, we'll see how we go, but it should be a great game and one I'm really looking forward to.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see your mood on, on Monday, Nashi. You, <laughs> might, you might not have slept for three days. Or <laughs> well, you could be completely the opposite. So well, We might
0: be sending you a message just saying, no, nah, let's not worry about it, mate. I don't want to talk about it. It's all good. Uh,
1: yeah, exactly. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Can't wait. It's going to be an absolute cracking grand final. Yeah. As, as excited for this grand final as I ever have been, I think.
0: Can't wait, mate. Looking forward to it. We'll chat uh, next week.
1: On you, Nashi.